0: I just walked up here, and I was like, where are all my sermon notes? And then I looked and see my grinning daughter holding them. (laughs) She's like, I already read your sermon, Dad. (laughs) I don't have to listen now. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I did want to say, uh, wasn't it it wonderful having an edition of a, a violin? Uh, on the Praise and Worship team. Sounds beautiful. Uh, I think it's been like 15 years since we've had a violinist on our worship team um, at Remnant of Israel. What's that? You played it a couple of times? Okay. So it's, it is a blessing then to have, to have a, a violinist. So Greg, uh, thank you for using the talents that the Lord has gifted you in in that way. Praise the Lord. Um, it, it really adds some beautiful... Uh, music, uh, to our time of praise and worship together. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, next week um, I'm going to resume my teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Today I'm not going to do that. I'm pausing to do sort of a one-off teaching. Uh, And this is one which um, I had actually asked Brian to teach on this on Hanukkah. It was the second part of what I'd asked him to teach on. The reality is I just gave him too much to try and teach, so he focused correctly, he rightly focused on the first part of what I asked him to speak on, but I'm going to finish the second part today, because I really felt like uh, this is something God wanted us to hear. Um, This is uh, a message that, you know, last week we had a really good message of hope. Um, My message today isn't quite as friendly, it's more of a warning today, Um, so kind of a start off the year with a warning, huh? Wow. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's, it, it is, um, but there's still some hope in there, so uh, we'll, we'll share that with you. Um, this is a, a teaching that's connected with Hanukkah, um, Hanukkah being the Feast of Dedication. Uh, the Feast of Dedication recalls when, of course, we re, the, tempical, the temple was rededicated for the service of the Lord, and, uh, and, and so we're going to talk about... Um, oaths and vows um, today and the words that come out of our mouths about, like, when we rededicate something, when, we, when we're talking about um, what we're making a vow for. Um, you know, sometimes on Hanukkah, uh, we have done uh, baby dedications. We were actually going to do baby dedications this year, and then I wasn't here, and I really wanted to be a part of it, and, um, and, and, we, and we didn't do it. Um, because I actually we had our baby too, and we were like, "Oh, we should dedicate Jacob." And uh, well, we'll we'll do that at some point. We're not going to do it today, um, but we're going to talk about just oaths and vows and the words that come out of our mouths um, today. And so that's I think it's it's important for us to talk about it. It's a it's a, also kind of timely just with New Year's. You know, people make New Year's resolutions. Uh, during this time of year, you know, I want to make some positive change in my life. I'm going to stop smoking, or I'm going to lose weight, or I'm going to, you know, make things right with somebody else, or I'm going to finish that project that I've been putting off for three years, and I've got all the supplies and it's half done. And, you know, we just we make we make these resolutions um, during this time of year. We say hey, we're going to do these things, and uh, and I want to remind us of the serious way in which. God considers the words that we speak. That's what we're going to talk about, the very serious way that God takes the words that come out of our mouths. Um, I, was, I was looking into uh, sources of trying to find, like, well, how many words does a human speak in a day? And depending on what you believe on the Internet, there's quite a wide range of answers. Um, I'm going to settle on around 7,000 words a day. Um, you might think that's wrong. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. We, we speak thousands of words a day. Um, and uh, and, and including speaking through writing, okay, so I text, I might write on the internet or an email or something, so I'm including all of that as well. Um, and, and some of you may do way more than that depending on your job. You may have a job that requires you to speak significantly, like a teacher. Uh, some of you may speak way less than that because you don't interact with people significantly during the day. But in any case, we speak a lot. And one of the questions I want us to consider is what percent of those words are we using as God designed us to use them? How much of those words that we speak are we using that God designed us to use? Are we using them in the way that God designed us to use those words? words that we speak, the words that we write, are we, are we speaking them flippantly? Um, are we using them, like, are we making oaths or vows that we really have no intention or plan or even capability to keep? Do we, do we say things like, to somebody else, like, oh, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for that, and then we walk away because it was just a nice thing for them to hear that you said that, and like, as if you cared for them but then don't actually have an intention of doing that and following up with them. Um, Or maybe we say to somebody, oh, we should get together sometime without actually having ever any intention of getting together with that person because it's just a nice thing to say to somebody else. Um, You know, I've heard those things said. I've probably said them myself, and I shouldn't say them because that's a, a, a promise or a a a meaningful word that i'm saying to someone else that's important you know we we have we say a lot of things even when we come here we say prayers during liturgy right do we mean the words that we say when we say these prayers in liturgy do we mean the words that we sing when we're worshiping or do we say blesses and curses out of the same mouth you know, do we, do we do those things? We know we're bl- sitting here blessing the Lord, then do we leave here and say cur- in, and utter curses out of our mouths? When we're dedicating our children, like I was talking about on Hanukkah, do we promise to raise our children to know and love God, and, or for the congregation, do you promise to help others do the same, but then, you know, just leave that job to other people and not actually do the things that... God would have us do to raise our children to know and love the Lord? Now, these, are, these are things that we say, and those are certainly you know, pointed questions, challenging questions of, do we mean the words that we say? Do we actually mean the things that come out of our mouth? You know, there, there, there's examples all over scripture of people making or breaking, or both, vows, oaths, promises, things like that. I've been reading the, through the story of Joseph the last few days, and I, I counted just several examples in that story, um, right? If you know the story of Joseph, if you're familiar with it, you know that the brothers, they plotted together in agreement to harm Joseph. So they sort of made a vow or an agreement that they're going to harm their brother when they saw him coming to them, right? And, and then after they sold him, they made this vow, this agreement of how they're going to lie to their dad about how, about what happened to Joseph. So they faked it, right? So they made this vow together, this agreement, and they held that vow, I mean, in a long time, many, many years, while Joseph was, while he was in Egypt, Joseph was eventually imprisoned, and uh, the chief cupbearer, um, when he got out of prison, he told Joseph that he would remember him outside of prison, but then he broke that promise. He, the scripture says he forgot it. And, and the words in the scripture, when it says that he forgot his promise, it really means that he, he like did it on purpose. Like he didn't bring up Joseph on purpose. Um, it was not like just an accidental forgetting that he, that, that happened. Um, when, uh, when they needed the brothers needed food and Joseph had been raised to power and um, they, needed to, they needed to bring, uh, they had gone there once and the brothers had come back and Joseph had told them, you know, hey, you need to bring your youngest brother with you if you want any more food. And so they're like, well, how are we going to get our dad to let us bring Benjamin with us, right? And so Reuben initially makes a really rash vow and he's like, look, I'll kill my two sons if Benjamin is hurt. Now, thankfully, Jacob rejected that vow. He said that's a foolish vow, which it was. Um, But he accepted Judah's vow later when Judah pledged himself for Benjamin's safety. He accepted Judah's vow there. So it's another example of a vow. And you go to the end of the story of Joseph, and you see that um, when Jacob is dying, And he has Joseph come and vow or pledge to bury Jacob with his fathers, right? So they're taking his body back to the land. So he he makes a vow in that way. Um, We could go throughout Scripture and find a ton of other examples and stories, some good and some bad, about vows and promises and oaths, some that were kept good, some that were not. Um, Some of ones that are probably more famous that people point to are like Jephthah in Judges 11, a famous example of a rash vow. Um, Another one you could probably point to is Acts 23 with a group of men who vowed not to eat until they had killed Paul. That was a a vow that they had made. Um, Prior to that in Acts 21, there was a a good vow, a vow that Paul helped four men fulfill and go into the temple. He, helped, he went to the temple with them to help them fulfill their vow. So there's are just a few examples. We could go through a, a lot more, I'm sure. Um, but what does the Bible have to say about how we speak, or about what we speak, the words that we speak? So I want to turn to the Torah first. So if you go with me to Leviticus, I want you to turn in Leviticus to chapter 5. We're going to start there today. If you go into Leviticus chapter 5, if you go to verse 4, start there, it says there, if a person swears rashly with his lips to do evil or to do good about anything that one might utter rashly by an oath, though it is hidden from him, when he realizes it, then he will be guilty of one of these. If a person swears rashly to do evil or to do good. So it's, it's not necessarily good or bad. It doesn't matter what it is specifically. But if he swears rashly to do those things. when he, That he's guilty of those things. When he realizes that if he, he has not done it. Uh, if you then go to the words of Yeshua. Our living Torah. Matthew chapter 5. He, he's speaking in his sermon on the mount. And... He adds to that and he says, you've heard it said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall carry out your oaths to Adonai. But I tell you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you, not, for you cannot make a single hair, white or black, but let your word Yes, be yes, and your no, no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. So we might read those words from Leviticus 5 and Matthew 5, and we might say, well, you know, those are talking about oaths and vows. And and really, how often do I actually make an oath or a vow, we might say. But Yeshua says it's not just about... Our oaths and our vows. It's about everything that we say. Go to Matthew 12. So just a few more chapters down the way. Go to Matthew 12. He's talking to some of the uh, teachers of the law, some of the Pharisees. In verse 34 of Matthew 12, starting there, he says, you brood of vipers, How can you who are evil say anything good? For from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man from his good treasury brings forth good, and the evil man from his evil treasury brings forth evil. But I tell you that on the day of judgment, men will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So the words that come out of our mouths. Even the ones that uh, we mumble silently under our breath so that no one except God can hear, even those words we will be judged by. Why will we be judged by those? It's because those words come, it says, out of our heart. It says, for from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And... Our God that we worship is a God who judges the heart. And so we're going to be judged by those words, even those words that no one else can hear, except God, and you're just mumbling, them, muttering them under your breath. We, we judge because God, we, we know that because God judges the hearts. And our hearts are where our words come from. You know We gossip. It's not just because we can't control our tongue but it's because we desire it in our heart. We slander other people, not because we can't control our tongue, but because we have hatred in our heart. When we slander, there's evil in our hearts. And it's the same thing that causes us to put other people... You know, it's the same thing that causes us to mutter things under our breath, to curse curse people under our breath um, when we don't necessarily want them to hear. I actually... I had to confess this to my wife a couple of weeks ago because I was like, wow, I was just, I was thinking about this message already. And I was like, I'm sinning in the words that I was saying. I was muttering some things under my breath and I was sinning in that. So I had to go to my wife and say, my heart is not right in this matter. Can we pray about this? Because I can't be this way either. I was feeling like super convicted and I still am in this area and I needed to be cleansed in that area. And I praise the Lord, you know, that's the message of hope, right? That when we confess our sin before him and before others, those who we sin against, and we confess that and ask for forgiveness, he is faithful to forgive us. Amen? That's the message of hope. So yeah, I'm, I'm, there's a message of warning here, but there's a message of hope too, right? So... I'm going to continue on with this warning message, though, for a little bit. So we, if we think about, or we go to the book of James um, and think about what he has to say on this topic, this is Yeshua's brother, actually his name was Jacob, um, or Yaakov, but uh, in we call it James, James 1, 26 and 27, he talks more about this, even more emphatically about the importance of our words. And he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, again, he's connecting the tongue and the heart together, does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is futile. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. He says that if we can't control our mouth, Because our deceptive heart is in the wrong place and our religion is worthless. It's futile. That's some pretty strong words. Again, it's not just about controlling the actual words that come out of our mouth. It's not like, your parents probably told you this and you probably have told other people this. Like that that old saying, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. But yet you're still sitting there thinking, (laughs) I'm just going to shut my mouth. But... (laughs) It's, it's not just about that. That's only the starting point. It's not about hiding your feelings. It's about that sinful heart condition that wants you to, wants you to speak all those things. That's what, that's what it's about. And that's what we need God to heal in our lives. And we need the Lord to transform our hearts so that we love others, that when we speak, what flows out of our mouths, the words that flow out of our mouths are then blessings from the Lord. Because he's so transformed our hearts that we don't even have a a mumbling under our breath of of curses against another person. But they're blessings from the Lord because he has so transformed our hearts to love them. But I think part of our heart problem is really a vision problem. And if we go back to Yeshua's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 22 and 23, he says that the eye is the lamp of the body. Therefore, if your eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Therefore, if if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And, and point being is that if our eyes are not focused on the true light of Yeshua, our Messiah, then the result is that our hearts will be full of darkness. That's where our hearts will be full of darkness. Not only that, but when we take our eyes off of God, and we forget that we stand before the living, all-powerful God of the universe, when we forget that, we're forgetting before whom we stand. We're We're forgetting that we're standing before this holy God who can't be around sin. and We're uttering things out of our mouths that we would never say if we realized we were standing before him. We would never say those kinds of things. There's a saying, that saying, know before whom you stand. It's right there above our ark. Only it's in Hebrew right there. The words in Hebrew say, Dalifne mi'ata Ahmed. Dalifne mi'ata omed. That's what it says. That comes from the Babylonian Talmud, um, tract Barakot 28b. It's Rabbi Eliezer in there. He mentions words of wisdom. And when we read those words, Dalifne mi'ata omed." know before whom you stand. This is reminding us as worshipers, and this is why we have it here, because it's reminding us as worshipers to engage wholeheartedly in worship in the sanctuary, knowing that this is a place of holiness and we are to stand in awareness of God and his presence. But the reality is it's not just here. This is a reminder that when you're here, to know before whom you stand but we really need to understand that we're to be engaged in worship throughout our lives right and so maybe we have other reminders in our lives like like at tzitzit that will remind you or other other things that will remind us and and we're to be reminded that of who we're standing before to be reminded of of God's presence in our lives and when we are reminded of who we're standing before, that should then remind us of how we should be speaking. I want to go to Ecclesiastes. So if you go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon has some words to share with us in this book. You know, we, we uh, had a really good study, all-day study on Ecclesiastes during Sukkot, and uh, I think that would be a good tradition for us to continue in future years. Uh, chapters 4 and chapter 5 have some words of wisdom from Kohelet that really bear strongly. Um, the end of chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 5, um, he says, Watch your feet when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they're doing wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth nor hasty in your heart to utter a word in God's presence. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Don't be quick with your mouth or hasty in your heart to utter a word in God's presence, therefore let your words be few. It's pretty sobering to read that, to remind us that when we're in God's presence, we should not be hasty, not be quick with our mouth, that our words should be few. But earlier, and earlier in chapter four, he adds to that, again, cautioning our speech, he says, starting in verse two, "As a dream comes with excessive burden, so a fool's voice with too many words, when you swear a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. Is it better for you? It is better for you not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth lead your flesh to sin, and do not say before the messenger, "It was a mistake." Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Many dreams and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. He's saying that the many, many of our words are meaningless. Many of the things that we say are rash. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Remember God. Know before whom you stand. It's what he's saying. Remember that. You know, when when the tabernacle was dedicated and, and the priests were consecrated in Leviticus chapter nine, they're about to, begin their, about to begin their ministry. And it says that at the end of the chapter of Leviticus nine, it says that Moses and Aaron went to the Tent of Meeting, and then they came back out and blessed the people. The glory of Adonai appeared before all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord. And devoured the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And it says, When the people saw it, they all shut on their faces. Because they knew before whom they stood, and then they, they couldn't stand at all. Really. <laughs> and then in first Kings chapter 8, when Solomon's dedicating the temple of the Lord, it says in, in verses 8 through 10, it says, Now when the Kohenim came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the house of Adonai, so that the Kohanim could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of Adonai filled the house of Adonai. They couldn't stand. They couldn't be there. They couldn't even stand up. They knew before whom they stood, and they couldn't stand. And maybe that's the point. When you know before whom you stand, you can't stand at all. That you are just prostrate before him. And you keep that in your mind. So the question is, where is the temple of God now? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because we know that the temple in Jerusalem is not there. That was destroyed on... 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 16, says, Don't you know that you are God's temple and that the Ruach Elohim, the Holy Spirit dwells among you? Don't you know that you are God's temple? He's not lying there. He's not just making up some euphemism, some, some allegory or analogy or anything like that. You're God's temple when you have the Holy Spirit in you. He dwells in his temple because he has cleansed you just like the temple was a holy place for him to live. It is every bit as real as as the original tabernacle or the temple of Solomon or the second temple that was around in Yeshua's day. It's every bit as real that the Holy Spirit dwells in you as God's temple. So now, know before whom you stand. If I'm coming to speak to you, and I know that you are a dwelling place of the Lord God, and I know before whom I stand, how am I now going to speak to you? Do you see each other when you talk to each other as fellow believers with that sense of holiness and sacredness because each one of us is the temple of God? Do you speak to your children that way? Do you speak to your spouse that way? Do we treat each other with honor and reverence as vessels of the temple of God? Because that's who we are. Those of us who are filled with the Spirit, who believe in the Lord Yeshua, our Messiah, the Lord lives within us. We are His temple. I think the Apostle Paul has some good words for us to to think about in this, and we think about how we speak to one another. In, In the book of Ephesians, if you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Some of you probably know where I'm going there. It says, Let no harmful word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of others, according to the need, so that it gives grace to those who hear it. Do not grieve the Ruach HaKodesh of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and quarreling and slander, along with all malice, Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God and Messiah also forgave you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I think it might be possible to grieve God who lives in you when when your heart is expressing things before God that you wouldn't say to him if you really, truly remembered in whom whose presence you stood before when you're saying that to others and when he lives inside of you and then those things are coming out of you? Wouldn't that be grievous to you? I mean, think about it. You don't even have that serious of a relationship with your kids, but when you, let's say you have a kid and your kid is saying something that, re, you ever been really grieved by something your child said? Maybe? You heard them say or did, Right? And you don't even have that strong of a relationship, like as if the Holy Spirit does dwelling within you. We, it's just the same, and He can be grieved in that way. And we're t- not to be grieved by, not to grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we are sealed for the day of redemption. That He lives within us. We're also reminded in Proverbs eighteen twenty one, right, about our tongues, the tongue has the power of life and death right? And those who love it will eat its fruit. Well, we're going to reap the consequences of what we speak. When we, when we speak life, you reap life. When you speak death, you reap death. When, so we're called to speak life to others, that we don't let a harmful word come out of our mouth, but only what is beneficial. We speak the life, the beneficial things for the building up of others. But it's got to, again, come out of our hearts, Right? This is not just about saying nice things, but it's about actually having those nice things within our hearts, the good things within our hearts that we want to love one another with. We don't want to cause pain to God by, by mistreating other people with our words. We don't want to say rash words or vows that we don't intend to follow. You know, again, it's, it's not about washing our mouth. It's about guarding our hearts. That's what I'm talking about today. It's about speaking life because life is truly overflowing in your heart. I want, to, I want to share with you, though, a, a practical acronym. Uh, this is something my family has found helpful when it comes to speaking. And, uh, and it, it, this is actually, I did not make this up, okay? Um, this comes from uh, uh, Pastor Greg Laurie, Harvest Christian Church out in uh, our fellowship in California. He has a blog, and on this blog, he wrote about this acronym called THINK. So you've probably heard of think before you speak, right? But this is an acronym for the word think. So the T is, is it true? Are the words that you're saying actually true? Do you know that they're true? Is it something, maybe, because maybe it's just something you heard from somebody else, but you don't know that it's even true? Or is it just gossip and it's something that your heart just wants to pass along to somebody else? I mean, but you, maybe you don't know it's true. And... So you should think, well, how, how does that make you feel if somebody else lies about you, right? What if you could be passing on a lie? Or when somebody gossips about you, that you know, how does that make you feel? We, we know that Satan, right, the father of all lies, he, he wants us to pass along and share those types of things that aren't true and that are just destructive. So we need to think about if something is true or not. That's the T. The, the H is something can be true but not helpful you have an affirmative yes this is true but is it helpful will sharing this information be helpful to the other person do they need to know it and that leads to the third one i is it inspiring and that's pretty clear does it is it does it inspire someone to draw closer to god Does it inspire them and build them up in the spirit? In, is it necessary? Maybe something is true, but do you need to say it? Um, Is it going to, again, it kind of goes along and hand in hand with is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Maybe they don't need to know and it's not to say that you're just hiding things from other people, but um, sometimes it's even like, you know, maybe it's not my story to tell. Maybe that's, their, that's somebody else's story to tell, and I don't need to tell it. And the, and the last one, K, is, is, is it kind? That's pretty clear. Um, I think a lot of times before we speak, we can... We can know if we're going to say something, about to say something in kindness or not. It's in our hearts and we know if we have an intention of kindness or if we have an, inten- a, 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 an intention of malice or any other, you know, it's not really to build somebody up. Maybe it's just a sarcastic cutting or something like that. You know, we, we know if something's not kind. So we think, T-H-I-N-K, before we speak, again, but it's not just about speaking about people, it's really in any situation, No, you know, are the things that we're saying true, helpful, inspiring, necessary and kind in any situation, and when, when we pause and consider that, A, that's probably going to make us a lot slower to speak, because we have to think about that, right, <laughs> and then we're probably going to speak a lot less, fewer words that we speak, and that's probably okay, because... We can get by with fewer words, but more meaningful and more helpful words, I think. So I'm going to kind of wrap up there. So if we can get someone to go get the kids in the, uh, from Shabbat school. Again, my message is, again, today one of warning. You know, because we don't want to hear from God the words that the Spirit gave through Isaiah when Isaiah said, These people draw near to me with their mouths. And honor me with their lips, yet their hearts are far from me. We don't, we don't want to hear that from God. So I'm giving you a warning, but I'm also giving you a message of hope. Uh, Yeshua calls us to repentance, and he offers restoration to us. You know, we might be a seasoned believer, and this message is a wake up call or just a, re- a good reminder, or you may not know the Lord at all. And I want to tell you that God offers us a clean heart. He creates in us a pure and clean heart when we confess our sins before him and for those that we have sinned against and of our misdeeds. We accept the blood of Yeshua in our lives to cover us. He restores us to God. And not only just restoring us from an unclean mouth, but really from an unclean heart, which is the more important thing. He restores us. So this is your message of hope. So that's my invitation then, is that if you've not received that free gift of God, that invitation is open today. And if you need to turn to someone else that maybe you have spoken against, maybe even muttered things under your breath about, and you need to go repent to them, then you should do that today. And if you're feeling an offense that you can't overlook from somebody else that has spoken to you in a way that you need to go to them in a, in a way that says, hey, I'm really offended by this and I hopefully can also be humble to then repent to you for that, but to make right with them today. And I, so I'm calling us to that. I'm calling us today to turn to God while the door is open because we don't know when Yeshua will return fully, this might be the year. We don't know, but we do know that he will return. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-10 says that at the revelation of the Lord Yeshua from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, he will command judgment on those who do not know God and do not heed the good news of our Lord Yeshua. They will pay the price of eternal ruin away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power on the day that he comes to be glorified among his Kedoshim and marveled out by all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Again, that's the, the words of the Holy Spirit through Paul to the church there at Thessalonica. He's saying that the Lord is returning. He is going to judge all the earth. And we want to be ready for that. You no? Know, I might be ready to speak a lot fewer words today after considering this message, and maybe you too, but we can't remain silent about the Lord's returning. We cannot remain silent. I can't remain silent about the Lord's returning. I have to speak that, but I also have to speak the words of love and mercy, of how we can be repenting and how we can be rejoined to Him and be judged as righteous that his love and his mercy offers restoration to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.